fascinating. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul calls Timothy to suffer with him. He commands Timothy to suffer. Here in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, Paul lays out the theology of suffering and why it is of benefit to us. We'll talk about suffering coming up today on Graceful Truth. Join us. So why do we suffer? Why does God allow it? Why does he call us as his children to suffer? Well, these are all good questions and there are some really good answers. The Apostle Paul makes no bones about it. He lays it out for us in clear fashion. Here in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Suffering, the path to glory is the title of our message. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of graceful truth. So some people get angry. Some people avoid avoidance. The path before them looks hard or even undesirable. Some people will turn from it and try to find another way that's easier, more rewarding. Or sometimes if the path can't be avoided, they'll try to balance it out with other things that are maybe more attractive. So then their priorities get all out of whack. The ancient name for this approach is called hedonism. (laughs) The Christian form of it is to ask God to remove the undesirable thing, whether it's sickness, financial struggles, whatever it might be. Christians who take this approach think the correct way to ask God is to remove the sickness so that afterward they might praise him for the healing. That could be a wonderful thing. And sometimes it is God's will for him to heal and for him to get that glory. So I'm not saying it's wrong to ask, but we have to understand that what if it's God's will? that you deal with that sickness? What if it's God's will that he allows that into your life for a purpose, for a reason? A lot of times when you, when you talk about Christians and their approach to suffering, it's, it's very um, misunderstood because uh, so much counseling and so much on the Christian side focuses on our individual fulfillment, our individual happiness. Personal happiness is priority. So if you go to see a counselor and you're talking to them, you know, your goal is to make yourself happy, to to make everything good. And so they try to do that. Sometimes people are advised to do things, do whatever, whatever it takes to make you happy, just do it. But you know what? That ignores the real truth that, that comes by working through these hardships and these times of suffering rather than avoiding them. Sometimes it may be God putting something in your path so that you have to deal with it. So you have to rely on him. So that he can grow you through that. And maybe down the road he's going to have you minister to somebody with the same problem you have. But because you've gone through it. And you've gone through it with the right perspective. That you can down the road minister to somebody else who's at the stage you were at before. Going, oh no, what do I do? Well the third way. Not just anger and avoidance. But apathy. The third non-Christian approach is apathy. In other words, they just detach from the problem. Some people say, well it just doesn't matter. Think about something else. Don't focus on it. You know, keep a stiff upper lip. Paul was surrounded by these stoic kind of people. A lot of non-Christian philosophies were around in Paul's day, just as they are today. And so I think Paul introduced the subject of suffering here to counter some of these. See, for our part, we need to know that these approaches 
are all less than truly Christian. And we need to come to understand that suffering may just be able to be seen in a different light. We need to know that for the Christian, for the believer, those who have trusted in Christ, suffering is an arena in which we are to prove the reality of our profession in Christ and achieve spiritual victories. It's so important that we understand that glory only comes through suffering. Well, secondly here, proof of sonship. I think it also shows us the value of suffering because it shows us that we are his. The first reason Paul here is he's been talking about Christians here being sons and daughters of God. Now he speaks of suffering as a proof of that relationship. That through the suffering, there could be different forms. First of all, persecution. Some suffer in the form of persecution. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verses 11 to 12, Blessed are those, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice it says because of me. If you're out there in the world acting like an idiot and people are insulting you and persecuting you and saying all kinds of false things, maybe the false things happen to be true and maybe you deserve some of the, the, uh, you know, the insults that you're getting. But if you're living a Christ-like life and it's because of your Christ-likeness that they are doing these things. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, they're going to do the same to you. John chapter 15, verse 18 to 20. Once again, in the upper room, Jesus is closing down his ministry here on earth and he has his disciples with him. He says, if the world hates You keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Two points here. First of all, Jesus suffered. Suffering was his lot while he was here on earth. And it's been a lot for a lot of godly people down throughout the ages. They lived a life of suffering. Why? Because we're living in a sinful world. So first of all, Jesus suffered. Secondly, suffering proves that we are on the side of Jesus and these godly people that went on before us. John MacArthur had this quote, and I just wanted to read it for you because... It kind of depicts the modern day mentality when it comes to church. And it seems like modern day churches are trying to become more like the world. So the world will like them. So they want them to feel comfortable and just, you know, everything's about, you know, reaching out and and all that. He says this, I can't for the life of me understand how Christians ever got the idea that the idea that the plan for the church was to get the whole world to like them. Nothing could be further from the truth. And we, we do what we're supposed to do in confronting the ungodly world with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Either they will believe it or they will become antagonized. See, we're not here to please the world. We're not here so that 
We don't meet here on Sunday so that those who haven't trusted Christ will feel comfortable and want to come back. That's not the purpose here. The purpose is to point them to the Savior. Jonathan Chow, one of pastors and president of Christ College, he, he does a lot of research. And he does a lot of research of the persecuted church in China. And he said this, one can almost say that suffering for Christ is a mark of discipleship. That's their mentality over there. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this when he speaks of Romans eight seventeen. He says, if you are suffering as a Christian and because you are a Christian, it is one of the surest proofs you can ever have of the fact that you are a child of God. That's very important for us to understand. That's an important use of persecution. It proves that we are Christians and therefore disciples of Christ. Secondly, it has the purpose of purification. Not all suffering is in the form of of persecution. Some of it is from God and it's for our own spiritual growth. It's for our own purification. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 This is where the author of Hebrew was talking about when he wrote in in reference to Jesus. He says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2.10. I mean, that sounds like a bold thing to say because it's kind of like, well, Jesus was already perfect. Why did he have to be made perfect? You know, and that's one of those things that's hard to understand because the Bible does say that Jesus did grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But he was morally impeccable. But suffering had a purpose in his life. See, perfection means wholeness. Jesus grew into a a wholeness of experience in trusting God through his life here on earth. And he did that through poverty, through temptation, through misunderstanding, through loneliness, through abuse, through betrayal. God used all those things in the life of his son while he was here on earth. Now, we're sinners, of course. We're not Christ-like yet. But one of the images the Bible uses in Zechariah and Malachi, Zechariah 13.9 says, And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. That's Zechariah 13.9. And the picture there is God as this, this skilled refiner and he's heating up the ore until the dross has been mixed with it and it rises to the surface. And then he scrapes it off. And the refiner in that process knows when the metal is ready because he can look into the metal, the molten metal itself, and see the reflection of his face. And he realizes that all the gunk is out of the way now. See, it's the same way. God purifies us until he can see the face of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his people. That's what he's doing each and every day in our lives. You know, we sing that, that hymn, How Firm a Foundation. I was doing some research this week. I didn't know that they didn't know who wrote that hymn. 
When you look at it, I mean, Keen is usually the name, but it just says author, uncertain, K. Because <laughs> there's so many different stories of who wrote it. But one of the verses of that hymn says this, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. See, that's an image that God has given us in his word, that he is refining us. Also in Hebrews chapter 12, another image here is God disciplining his children as one a father disciplines his child here on earth. It says, endure hardship, Hebrews 12, verse 7, 8, and 10 to 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So even God, through discipline, sometimes he's purifying us. And then the third thing here is training. A third kind of suffering also has value for Christians. It can be likened to suffering endured when a soldier who is trained for combat enters into the battle itself. And scripture uses that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3, Paul wrote to Timothy, endure hardship, endure hardness with us as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he changes the imagery a little bit and he moves from the athletic, or he moves from the uh, soldier to the athlete. And he says, I beat my body, 927, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I beat my body to make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, if you're called to endure any of these three kinds of suffering, you should be encouraged. (laughs) This is a good thing because by them, you are actually adding validity to your salvation. Well, the next thing here, the power of the Christian witness. One of the other values of suffering is our our witness to Christ is empowered by the suffering we go through. Now, you know, I I don't mean that we we grow stronger in our ability to witness to Christ to the extent that we are called to endure persecution or some other kind of suffering. Um, However, that's true. But when you read about the blind man in in, uh, John chapter 9, if you read that story of the blind man, his witness grew stronger and stronger every time the religious authorities kind of leaned on him to get him to modify his testimony about what happened to him. And so that witness of Christians, it carries a particular weight when it is given under duress you know, I'm sure that we would hang on every word if Pastor Zaid were here this morning and, and to share Christ with us and to share his testimony. Why? Because he's endured three years of suffering for Christ. We would want to know, man, how did you get through this? And that's, that's so important. So physical suffering gives particular clout even to the witness of Christians. You know, it's amazing to me over the years has been... 
the bedside of many people who are at the end of their life. And there's something about being there when they know that they are secure in Christ. And even though their bodies are racked with pain and the uncertainty of even opening their eyes within the next hours, deep down inside there's a joy. There's a joy because of the suffering that they've come through and they realize that glory awaits them. What a wonderful thing. And it really helps us when we can tell people, yeah, been there, done that. You know, if, if I have diagnosed with something, I want to talk to somebody who's been through that. I want, I want to know, how did you deal with this? What were the treatments like? What, you know, why? I'm not going to talk to somebody who has no idea, that's never been sick a day in their life. That wouldn't help me much. And so suffering has those kind of uh, positive things that, that happen. And I think that we need to be reminded of that. And then also it's the path to glory. The final thing here is that it is ordained. Suffering is ordained as the path to glory. He says there in verse 17, we share in his sufferings. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Some translations say, if we suffer with him. It should probably read, since we suffer with him, because it's a guarantee that we will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, the Apostle Paul wrote, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 to 18. So there's two basic things here we need to remember about suffering. First of all, suffering is necessary. It's necessary. Luke chapter 24 verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus taught that for himself. He said that to the Emmaus disciples there. He said, hey, I I have to go through suffering. He was constantly harping on that at the end of his ministry and they didn't get it. They thought, man, we're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to, you know, really take over and it's going to be great. When we went to Jerusalem and here's their Savior hanging on a cross, what happened? Wow, they were despondent. They didn't know what to do because they didn't understand his message up to that point. And Jesus taught over and over that suffering is necessary for us. And when he said that if they persecute me, they will also persecute you, that's a promise. That's not just a little hint. He says in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's something that is necessary. Secondly, suffering is necessary, but it's not the end of the story. I mean, you know, if we just said, yeah, we just got to suffer, that's it. No. What's the end of the story? Glorification. Being, in Christ, being with Christ and God forever. I mean, if suffering were the end, Christianity, I mean, would be masochistic. I mean, it would be crazy. Why would you even want to be part of it? If there's no hope 
if there's no consolation in the end. The Christian who needs to worry about suffering is not the one who is suffering, particularly if it is for the sake of Jesus Christ. The person who should worry is the one who is not suffering because suffering is proof of our sonship. It means that for the spread of the gospel, it's the path to glory. So we need to encourage one another as we run this race here on earth and fight these long, hard battles daily with our flesh and with sin and with others and everything else. And we need to realize that as a church, we need each other and that we need to bind our hearts together. And that is what we are given to. That is what we are saved for. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Timothy Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You know what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me alone, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. I I pray that prayer that it may be that way for all God's people. There's an illustration from the life of John Newton, the converted slave trader who turned pastor and hymn writer. He gave this illustration, and I thought it was kind of interesting. He said, suppose a man going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to get out and to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the way, the remainder to the city, the remaining mile, crying out, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, when he's about to inherit a huge estate. You would say, what a fool. I mean, just go there and get there and pick the carriage up later. You buy a new carriage. You know, I mean, stop and think about it. In this life, beloved, your carriage may be broken. (laughs) But keep going. Keep going because there's a rich inheritance. And eternal glory lies just ahead. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that it's only through the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that this inheritance is ever even possible. And Father, we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day we will be in your presence if we have put our trust, our faith in you. But Father, we pray for us as believers that this would be a time that we can reflect on your goodness to us and the gift of salvation you've given to us through Christ. And Father, we realize that it's never too late for that person to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, save me. Save me from my sin. I want to put my faith, my trust in your Son as my Savior. That's a prayer that God will hear even today. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. 
We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. Now, while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone. Simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.